Welcome to Mosaic Church, and thank you for joining us here online. To prepare for today's message, we encourage you to utilize the Mosaic Cincinnati app. There, you can view the message notes, put in prayer requests, and so much more. Enjoy the message. All right, we're going to dive into week number two of our I'm Leaving series, and today we're talking about leaving the sidelines. And more specifically, we're going to be talking about leaving the sidelines when it comes to our fight, our personal fight with sin. And so I know it's kind of uncomfortable. It's not a a fun topic, but it's one that we need to talk about because every single one of us deals with it, right? But we leave all kinds of things in life. We leave friendships, we leave churches, we leave restaurants, we leave families, we leave cities, and many times we leave based on frustrations, based on anger, and and then we get bitter, and and we think the grass is gonna be greener on the other side, and and we we leave certain things, or maybe a job, and we think, oh, it's gonna be so much better where I'm going. And then we get there and we find that, ah, I just changed location and nothing has really changed, right? So we leave lots of things behind in life. But the truth is that when we decide to follow Jesus, we leave things behind as well. But many times we forget this, and many times Jesus is just an addition to our life. And when we begin to follow him, we pick him up and we take him with us, and we just keep doing the same things that we always did. If if you don't know what I'm talking about, maybe I'm just talking about myself today that we just try to incorporate him into our lives instead of letting him be the one that leads us in our lives. And so last week we talked about leaving our old identity and finding a new identity in Christ. Today, our anchor verse is gonna be Hebrews 12, one through four. Now I'm just gonna warn you, we're gonna go through a ton of scripture today. Um, And so in your notes, Um, It doesn't have all the scriptures printed out. It has the references. And so I want to encourage you to go home this week and and actually look up those references and study through the verses. All the verses today will be on the screen, but in your notes on the page, there might only be the the reference. And so just a heads up there. But Hebrews 12, 1 through 4 says this. If you notice, last week we started out in Romans 12. Now we're in Hebrews 12. And so we just like chapter 12, right? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And so I'm leaving that life of sin. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy set before him. We, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think, think of it, all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, You have not yet given your lives in your struggle, everybody say struggle, in your struggle against sin. Your struggle, not someone else's struggle. We're not, uh, and and just to, to, to get us on the right page as we begin this today, we're not talking about other people. I'm talking about me. You're thinking about you. We're taking this message very personally today. So let's just give ourselves a working definition of sin today. 
Sin is doing what feels right instead of what is right in God's eyes. If you go all the way back to the Garden of of Eden, um, Eve, she felt like eating the fruit. That didn't make it the right thing to do. Sometimes what feels right is right. Man, it feels good to help people and to, to, to give to one day to feed the world, to help feed the poor and suffering around the world. You know, that, that's right. And that's, that's a time when our feelings and, our, and the right thing to do lines up. But many times, what I feel like doing is not the right thing. Too many times we stay on the sidelines in the fight or struggle against sin in our lives, and we just straight up don't fight. At the end of that passage we just read, what did it say? What did it say? After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. That raises the bar, doesn't it? It's like, whoa. Man, that's how hard I'm supposed to fight? That's how seriously I'm supposed to take this thing. Now, before you get on your soapbox, we are talking about sin in our own lives, not everyone else's lives. Can we just start there? It's really easy to talk about everyone else, and we we think things like grace for me, but justice for thee, right? We do that, don't we? Grace for me, and all the rest of y'all just have it wrong but we're not gonna do that today. We're gonna say, you know, man, I'm gonna think about myself personally. It's easy to stay on the sidelines and not fight personally. Think about what you do on the sidelines. And some of you, you're at the the Milford football game on Friday night. Some of you, you got, you got, some of you, man, you're celebrating uh, that, that uh, FC just won the MLS uh, for the season, right? It's all, it's all good stuff. And what do you do on the sidelines? What do you do? You sit there and you eat popcorn and you maybe have a Met and you drink soda and, and eat hot dogs. Man, my, one of my best friends in the world, we went to a Cubs game and I only went because they were playing the Cardinals, but we were at Wrigley Field, which is an amazing experience and we're sitting there and my friend had heard about this helmet full of nachos and it's only sold in one place in, in Wrigley Field and so he walks literally halfway around the whole stadium to find the special vendor with the helmet of nachos. And so he comes back with this helmet loaded with nachos and it's like, it's like sponsored by Hormel, right? And so, and so he, he just tears into those nachos and we're like, dude, you want some help? And he's like, nope. And so, and next thing you know, the helmet of nachos is empty. And my, our good buddy, he's just sitting there and he has this dazed look on his face, right? And it's, it's like 90 degrees. We're sitting in the sun, no shade. And, and he has his belly full of these ballpark nachos, Right? And that just paints a great picture of the sideline. What do we do on the sideline? We sit and we eat and we drink and we're merry. It's a good time, right? Who doesn't like to go to the ball game? And it's easy to look good on the sidelines. No mud, no sweat, your hair's done. You got the look, you're hoping you're gonna get on the kiss cam. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, I'm here with my, 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 my spouse or my, my girlfriend, or, and, and you're, just, you're just happy to be there. You got the look, you got the jersey, number nine, come on. 
You paid like $150 for that jersey. But you're feeding on junk food. You know the funny thing about people on the sidelines? They even cheer the people on in the fight that are in the game, in the contest. But most of us would not be ready to step onto the field and step into the fight, to step into the ring. We're way more comfortable just staying on the sidelines. And so this is the the analogy that I want to get in your heart as we talk about the struggle against sin in our own lives. That we need to leave the sidelines and we need to fight. We need to leave our life of doing just whatever feels right, whatever's tasty at the moment, and we need to do what's right. Let me share with you some truths about sin. First of all, we all have struggles. We all, every single person in this room, there's no one on this earth that is holier than than thou. In reality, we've all sinned. James 1, 14 through 15 says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That's pretty serious. What are, we, what are we lured by? We're lured by power and prestige and pleasure. Every single one of us, it doesn't matter who you are. We all have hurts. We have habits. We've got hangups. All kinds of things, and we need to know what they are. Why? Because it's really hard to work on what you can't define. Many of us know exactly what we struggle with. We just never speak it out loud because we're shamed. We just don't want to talk about it. It's uncomfortable. But the reality is that we all struggle with something. And that sin that we struggle with and that we're enticed by and that we're lured towards, it's deceitful, it's destructive, it's devastating, and it's demonic. And it brings death. And every single one of us has something. And so we can't walk through this life assuming, oh, oh no, I'm good, I go to church, or I read my Bible, and and everything's just peachy. No, we're all. What does it say? Each person is tempted. Guess what? Even Jesus was tempted, but he's the only one that didn't sin. The only one. But we get comfortable with it. We get comfortable with the struggle and we normalize it. You know, it's kind of like the difference between, you know, when as, as a new mom, when you have a baby, man, you are like the car seat, like Gestapo. You're, the, the car will not move when the car seat's not all buckled just perfectly and all the straps are tied down and everything's tight. And it's like, okay, now we can move. And then your kids get to be teenagers and you're like, what are seat belts? It's like somehow between that infant stage with the car seat and them being teenagers, it's like, ah, uh, you just kind of got used to it. And that's what we do with sin. We just normalize it. It's it's no big deal. And we become desensitized. But the truth is we all struggle. Number two, in general, people would rather live in denial than in truth. Have you ever noticed that? People would rather live in denial than in truth, myself included. I just don't want to talk about it. You know, It's kind of like what happens when when a sound system has feedback. Have you ever experienced that? You probably have if you've sat in a room, and it's like that big sound that kind of hurts your ears. And what, what happens is, is when the sound that is produced in the room that is going into the microphone, it comes out of a speaker like this one, and it goes back into the microphone. And so there's a feedback loop, 
And it creates this horrible sound that hurts your ears. Has anybody ever experienced that? You know what I'm talking about, somebody? Now, we didn't this morning because Jeremy's incredible, right? All of our sound guys, they're, they're just awesome. And they never, get, they never get a hand. Let's give our sound guys a hand. They're like, you know, the only time anybody ever notices them is when something goes wrong, right? And so it's kind of nice to give credit where credit's due. But, but that's how it is when we think about or talk about the sin in our own lives. It's painful. It's like, ouch. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to talk about that. And, and so because it's so uncomfortable, we come up with, with arguments to just kind of explain it away. Many times when we're faced with our own junk, instead of living in truth, we live in denial and we rationalize it. And we say things like everyone's doing it or times are different now. Or, or we say, well, I don't want to be legalistic like, like my grandma or like somebody that you knew in your life that was just over the top legalistic. Or, or we start cherry picking things. Well, mine isn't as bad as theirs, and, and at least I don't fill in the blank. I've been reading a book lately called Thanks for the Feedback, and it, it's, it's a great book, encourage it, especially for the, those of you in business. And it, it, it says that 51% of respondents in a recent study said that their performance review was unfair or inaccurate. And one in four employees dread their performance review more than anything else in their working lives. <laughs> what does that tell us? It's really uncomfortable to hear about our faults. It's really uncomfortable to hear about things that we're not proud of. It, we'd rather do anything else in life. 51% of you, you don't want to hear about it. And so, not saying everything in our performance review is true. You've probably heard something in your performance review that you're like, I don't know about that, right? I don't know about that. But, so we're not saying that it's all true, but it is true that we, in general, don't want an outside source telling us what we should or should not do. Can I get an amen? 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4 says it like this. It says, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound teaching, sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. So in general, we would rather live in denial than in truth. Number three, another truth about sin. Biblically, we cannot take a soft stance on sin. Now, I'm not talking about call, calling out everything else in the world. I'm talking about in your life. You can't take a soft stance on sin. You can't. If you believe the Bible is God's word, our guide, and the last authority on all things in life, it is impossible to not take sin seriously. It's impossible to read the New Testament and not and advocate for a life of being lackadaisical with sin. People try, but it's a major misinterpretation. 1 John 2.16, we're gonna read a lot of scripture here, so just buckle up. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but from the world. And this world is fading away 
along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So we see this tension. Jesus himself always raised the bar. He never lowered it. It's a fallacy to think that Jesus was soft on sin. Jesus went from don't commit adultery to don't even lust in your mind. Jesus went from don't murder to don't hate. Jesus said to love your enemies. He said forgive if you want to be forgiven. He said to turn the other cheek. He took everything up a notch. He loved people, but he said go and sin no more. Jesus' words in Mark 7, 21 through 23, he said, it's what comes from the inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. When Jesus said all these things, he was calling out Pharisees who were sidestepping the right thing to do and twisting the law to fit their preferences. What felt right instead of what was right. Do you hear me? That's Jesus talking. Jesus. Paul wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else. The apostle planted many churches. He was founding father of the church and the faith. He was an amazing guy. He unpacked our freedom in Christ and how we are not bound to the law of the Old Testament. But at the same time, over and over and over, in every letter he wrote, he challenged us to stop sinning and set a good example for others. He talked about being a slave to Christ when it comes to our behavior. And in other words, he, he said, it's not about you, it's not about me. It's about shining a spotlight on Christ. And so we're just going to read just four little expert or three from Paul's letters and one from Peter's that, that talk about this. And, and just to, because I, I just want you to get a picture that biblically, if we believe God's word and our church believes that the Bible is God's word, it's infallible, which means it's without error. It has no mixture of wrong in it. It is all good. And we should still be listening to it these days. Right, And so I'm going to read you three passages just to give you an idea that the Bible, you cannot say that man, you're following Christ and have a soft stance personally on sin in your life. Galatians 5, 19 through 21, it says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Similar list in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Don't you realize that all those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Colossians 5 or three, five through nine. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. 
Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of, I'm leaving, right? I'm leaving it. Get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. And then lastly, 1 Peter 2, 11. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, this world is not our home, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very soul. I don't know about you, but I can't read all these lists, and by the way, in almost every epistle that Paul wrote, and Jesus himself, we see the calling out of the things in our lives that we need to leave behind. And I don't know about you, but I can't read these lists without saying, oh me. I cannot believe that there's one person in this room that didn't hear yourself in something in one of those lists. Fill in this blank. Jesus died for our sins. He died. He died so that we could be free, so that we could go in the other direction. And so biblically, it's, hard, it's, it's a really hard thing to make a case for flirting with the line, for seeing how close we can get up and, and up, up to sin before we're not saved anymore. We ask the wrong questions, church. We, 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 we ask, you know, how far can I go and still be saved? When we should be asking, how can I honor Jesus with my life? Right? So here is a to-the-point and practical question that we're going to discuss for the remainder, that we're going to discuss for the remainder of today. How can I hold myself to a high standard of holiness without becoming like the Pharisees we see in the Bible, and without becoming legalistic? How do I hold myself to a high standard of holiness and at the same time be somebody that is attracting people to Christ, pointing people towards Jesus, and not pushing everybody away? Right? How do we do this? Because what we see, and we, we just got done with that, with the series about people getting close to Jesus and being around him, stories Jesus told, and we saw that all the sinners... All the people who had bad reputations, they wanted to be around Jesus. And so we want to be like that too. And so how do we do this? How do we, how do we deal with the tension? Because many times we get it wrong. And so how do I hold myself to a high standard without becoming legalistic? Number one, get your pens ready and keep filling in those blanks today. First thing we need to do is to be gentle and humble with others. Be gentle and humble with others. Galatians 6, 1 through 2 says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. So we gently correct in the context of relationship. What does this mean? If you do not have a relationship with somebody, that is in the body of Christ with you, you are not responsible to correct them. 
Can we get that in our hearts? It's not your, it's not your job. Can I just be clear? No one really cares what you say on Facebook. No one's listening. And so if you think that's an appropriate venue to call out the sins of the whole world, you're sorely mistaken. Because biblically, we help restore each other in the context of relationship. Amen? Have the attitude that it could be you. Whatever that person is going through or has done, it could very easily be you in that same circumstance. When we have this kind of attitude, man, it brings a humbleness and a gentleness to the conversation that can only become, that can only come when somebody realizes that they are a person who has been forgiven much. Amen? People could care less how much you know until they know that you care. And so when it comes to the sin in other people's lives, be humble, be gentle, just like the Bible says. Number two, hold yourself to a high standard. Yourself, not everybody else. Hold yourself to a high standard. Romans 14, 10 through 13 says it like this. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. We're all gonna give an account to God for what we do, right? Thank goodness by the blood of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, we can stand before him forgiven, right? We can stand before him clean, and we're gonna give an account to God for, for the choices that we make in life. And so the thing that we need to realize here is that I wanna hold myself to a high standard and set a great example for the world. It's not about me being right in other people's eyes. It's about me being a brother that carries, helps to carry the burden. That's a different mindset. It's a different perspective. You modeling Jesus has a bigger impact than you using Jesus as a club on everybody else. Listen, I'm only right in God's eyes today because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. I got nothing to prove. I did nothing to deserve it. I'm saved by grace, not through works. I can't boast about it. And so since I can't, then I need to have grace for others. I'm living in honor of his sacrifice on the cross. And when I make a good choice, it doesn't make me any better than anybody else, right? Doesn't, so I'm gonna hold myself to a high standard. High standard, justice for me and grace for thee, right? Because I'm not responsible for you. I'm gonna stand before God and give, give an account of myself, and you will too. Number three. Keep God's word as the compass. Keep God's word as the compass. Listen, it, the question isn't what do you believe about a certain topic? We can insert all kinds of sins here. What, well, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And what do you think about this? Hey, guess what? It doesn't matter what I think about it. It's what do you believe about the Bible? That's the question. For some of you, it's time to put your trust in God's word as your compass in life. 
Stop relying on culture. Stop relying on what other people say. Stop worrying about the opinions and the thoughts of other people. What does the Bible say? 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. All of the questions of life can be found, the answers can be found in God's word. So that, we gotta believe that. It's, what does God's word say? Not what do I think, what does God's word say? Number four, we need to understand how sin works and have a game plan. Have a game plan. This is where you come off the sidelines and you step into the struggle. You say, I'm gonna fight. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get a hold of this, this sin problem in my own life with the grace of God, with Jesus giving me power and giving me, me, me the ability to do so, the Holy Spirit working in my life. So how does it work? First Peter 5.8, it says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and, he, and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. And this is one of the reasons that I love uh, Celebrate Recovery, our, our ministry here on Tuesday nights that, that Melissa leads. It's because they have a very specific game plan of how I'm gonna fight the sin that has had control of my life, but I'm gonna step into the game and I'm gonna fight, right? I love it. Those 12 steps that are, that are, are uh, grounded in scripture, it's amazing. Because here's what we know. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Have you ever heard that before? So if you don't have a game plan against the sin in your life, then your enemy, the devil, is gonna prowl around and take you out. And so let me give you a simple four-step game plan before we get out of here today. Number one, always be growing in your knowledge and your understanding of scripture. Always. Don't take a day off. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So step one, get God's word in your heart so that you're ready to fight. Number two, confession should be a regular part of your life. And so if you don't have one yet, get an accountability partner. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Who is that person in your life? That person, it doesn't have to be a whole group. This isn't necessarily what small group is for, although some of you might have a group that you feel comfortable being vulnerable like that with. But typically it's one or two or three people in your life that you're just willing to go there with and to get gut level honest. Here's what I'm dealing with. I see that it's in contradiction to scripture. Can you help me? Hold me accountable to get this out of my life, right? And when you do, watch out because healing and refreshing and freedom is gonna flood into your life. It's gonna be amazing, but we gotta confess. Number three, some temptations in your life you have to fight. Most you can remove. Be smart. Some temptations you have to fight, most you can remove from your life completely. Be smart. I mean, some of us, 
we're just so cozy with that pet, little pet sin in our life and we just leave it right there on the shelf beside us. We just leave it in our life and we say, oh, I, I'm okay, I, I can deal with it. Yeah, right. You gotta get it out completely. Remove the possibility for that relationship, for that vice, for that thing to be in your life at all. Most things can be removed. Most things. I love what 1 Timothy 6.11 says. It says, but you, Timothy, you're a man of God. I want you to fill, fill your name into that, that blank. But you, Jeff. Sorry, you're right there in front of me, picking on you today. But you, Jesse, you're a man of God. Right? You're a man of God. You're a woman of God. So run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. And then in 2 Timothy, it's like, it's like Paul, Paul must have thought to himself, Timothy needs to hear this again. And if Timothy needed to hear it again, you and I need to hear it again. It's almost the same verse. In 2 Timothy 2.22, it says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. And so we're going to run away from the things that we know are going to ensnare us, and we're going to pursue righteousness and peace. Amen? Number four, last one. Don't slack in your devotions or your church attendance because when you do, you're creating an environment where you become spiritually weak. So don't slack in reading your Bible and praying at home. Don't slack in getting around the circle with your life group and coming to church. Why? Because when you do, you're creating an environment where, where you could fall. Hebrews 10.25 says, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So I need you, and you need me. We need each other if we're going to fight this fight, right? We need each other. But with each other, we can overcome. We can overcome. And no stones thrown. If, if you've been out of church in a while, maybe you've got a sports season or something, something going on. Seasons happen. I get it. Maybe your work for a season has had you working on Sundays. I get it. Watch online. Talk it over with people that have been in your small group in the past. Intentionally connect. Don't just say, oh, I miss church, and so there's no connection for me with the body of Christ. Don't let the devil take you out that easily. Get around people that are going to encourage you and speak into your life. Discuss God's word with them. If you can't get here for a season, that just means that your spiritual life needs some extra meals and that you need to own it. Amen? Listen, church, let me encourage you today. Freedom is on the other side. When you struggle against sin and you put Jesus first in your life and you make a commitment, hey, guess what? It doesn't mean that you're always going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that you're perfectly going to master all these things in our life because we're going to struggle till the day that we die. But I want to do my best to honor what Jesus did on the cross for me. I want to be in the fight against sin instead of just on the sidelines, just doing whatever feels right, right? Why? Because freedom is on the other side. 
And in, it's in the fight and it's in the struggle that I find freedom. Strip off the weights that so easily entangle you and run with perseverance the race that God has marked out for you and for me. Amen? Because just like it says in Colossians 3.3, we died to this life. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden in God. Amen? Amen. Could you bow your heads and close your eyes with me today? God, we thank you for your word that guides us, that leads us in life. God, you went to the cross and you died for us so that we could leave our life of sin behind us. And so help us today to take it seriously. Help us to be people that, that are uncomfortable. God, when anything that doesn't you know, put a smile on your face starts to take root in our life, help us to stay off the sidelines and in the fight. Help us to not get apathetic or lackadaisical or just have a, 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 an attitude that is just kind of laissez-faire when it comes to, to sin. God, we want to serve you with our whole heart. We want to have the attitude that David had when he wrote this Psalm 51 that we sang this morning that says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Bring my heart, bring my life, bring my mind, bring my choices into alignment with you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us for today's message. We look forward to having you back next week.